Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors podcast. We have another great topic today. I'm so excited. I think we're really getting some great momentum with our speakers and our our guests on the podcast and our topics. And today is definitely going to be one where you're going to want to take a lot of notes. Uh, Before we dive in and introduce our guests, though, I have to make sure that John gets a, a word and let him say hi. Excellent. You're going to let me speak today, Shenandoah. Big day. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, So I'm super excited to be here. Um, Just interestingly, uh, our guest today, who's uh, Mary Beth Kosminski um, from Red Zone Marketing, and uh, Shenandoah will properly introduce her in a minute. Um, We just connected a little bit before we started recording here, uh, and we realized, or I realized at least, that I know Mary Beth and have been a fan uh, going back for many years, um, probably 20 years or so that I've known of her at least. So uh, she is a veteran in the industry and understands uh, the financial service industry unbelievably well from a marketing and client experience and value uh, perspective. So we're really excited and thankful to have her here today. Excellent. Well, yeah, we are very excited. I um, have actually read a few of the, the white papers and things that her firm has put out. So I was familiar, but I didn't have the background that John had with Mary Beth. But after getting connected with her and learning about her background, her experience, and the value that she brings to advisors, I was very excited to have her on. So Mary Beth, if you want to first say hi, and then just tell everybody a little bit about you and your background and kind of how you got into this role. Yeah, so thank you very much. I'm Mary Beth Kuzmeski uh, from Red Zone Marketing. And I started my firm and it makes me sound so old when someone says they've known about me for 20 years. I'm like, oh, really, am I that old? Um, But I guess I am. And so around 20 years ago, we started our firm Red Zone Marketing and we started it with one client. I I just had a marketing consulting firm, but my fifth client, uh, my very first client that was a financial advisor uh, got me into this industry. And he really uh, was someone who needed a lot of marketing help. He had $10 million of money under management and he wanted to grow it. But he said, I don't have any money for marketing. Uh, so, and I don't really believe this stuff you're talking about is going to work. So it's pay on performance, which meant that I had to get licensed so we could share commissions. And I did it because he was my fifth client. What the heck do I know? Um, literally, what do I know? Why would I do that? So I went through and I got my series six and 65 and 63 and life accident health and started to help him market. And within five years, he had grown from 10 million to uh, a little over 200 million in money under management. So it worked. Uh, I always thought it was gonna work. He never believed it was gonna work, but then we both got paid. So that was good. But it was that was my entree into this. And that led me to speaking at his broker dealer conference and then starting to speak and uh, do other things about what's really working. And by the way, what was really working for him, niches, that's what was working. We just delved deep into uh, three niches and eventually four. And so uh, that's, uh, that's kind of my background and how I got into financial services. We've been primarily uh, working with financial advisors and mutual fund companies and insurance companies and such uh, for a while now, for 20 years or so. Amazing. Great. Didn't didn't know. Yeah. Didn't know you were licensed at some point, which is uh, 
is very cool and great story from 10 million to 200 million is pretty darn uh, impressive uh, for sure. So, you know, you, you talked a little bit, it's funny. Um, we've had a few guests on, I call it niches. Some people call it niches. We'll go with niches today. Yeah, tomato, um, tomato, whatever. But yeah, <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin. We, we don't have fancy ways of saying stuff. It's a yes. niche in Wisconsin, so. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with niche. I, I, I like niche better. Um, so maybe, um, maybe you could just define a little bit uh, for our listeners what you mean by saying that. I think most understand it, but maybe you could just kind of expand a little bit when you think about a niche, what that looks like and how you see advisors doing that effectively. Yes, well, I'll start off with saying the most important thing about a, being in a niche is that it's so much easier to get referrals. And I think the, the, the thought about you know, being in a niche is that, oh, well, if I say I'm in this niche, then people that are not in this niche are not gonna wanna do business with me. We've actually found that that's not necessarily true because you're still gonna get referrals of someone who says, you gotta contact this person. This person's a great financial uh, you know, advisor or whatever, and they're gonna contact you. So it doesn't really impede business, but it increases the referrals. And so a niche is typically like somebody that works at the same company. You know, a bunch of people that are getting, re getting ready to retire or getting laid off from a particular company, that's a niche. Also a niche is you know, doctors or dentists, or um, we have one financial advisor that specializes in CRNAs, which is certified registered nurse anesthetist. So it's, you know, and then you find that you speak at their conference and next thing you know, you're posting something on their LinkedIn group and you're starting to get more traction because you know about them. And that's what people want to know. Uh, you know, I don't really care that you've been in this business for 20 years and you've been doing all this stuff. What I want to know is, do you know anything about my situation? And that's what a prospect thinks about. And that's why it's so much easier to refer when you're in a niche. A lot of financial professionals have three or four niches. You don't have to just have one, uh, but they really make a difference in the speed uh, of referrals and the quality of referrals that you're going to get. Yeah, well said. Um, I love it. And, uh, you know, as I think about it, you know, the next logical question probably becomes, Mary Beth, as you, as you think about it, how does an advisor identify the right niche for them? Is it, you know, kind of a hobby of theirs or they might have certain clients that they like to work with? How have you seen it, you know, kind of work best with advisors that you, you support and coach? Yeah, a lot of times it's looking in the book of business and seeing if there's any similarities between people that you work with. And that, that certainly is something that came up with that first advisor and, and many other advisors that we've worked with, where you look and you say, we got a couple employees that work at this one company. Why don't, why don't we call that a niche and really start to focus on that? Uh, but the other thing is, you know, if you, if you think about what really makes a good niche, uh, maybe it is something that you like to do. Like we have one a financial advisor that has a very expensive car and they have car driving clubs. And I'm like, so you just get together and you drive your car? He's like, yeah, we drive our cars on Saturdays and then we go and we have breakfast and okay. So you know, Jaguar has one, Porsche has one, you know, all those, but I, I still haven't gotten over that. So you just drive your car. Yeah. And then they go out to breakfast and chat about the cars, about just stuff and they become friends. And those are affinity groups. And that also is a good place to start. You can't start there and think, I'm going to do this because I'm going to get new business. But if you have the right ways of talking about your value proposition, whenever it's your turn to talk about what you do, uh, it makes a big difference. 
No, great. And I mean, definitely ties into, we've heard niche uh, marketing and finding your niche. I think on our last three or four podcasts in a row, it's become a recurring topic. Something that I think a lot of advisors really struggle with is communicating that value. And especially if they're transitioning to financial planning or they're trying to communicate in a way to make sure that they can justify raising their fees or adding different services, that really helps set the foundation. Um, but it's also one of the reasons I reached out to you is I know that you have some really great content and ideas about how advisors can demonstrate their value in a way that actually either justifies adding fees or higher fees. Can you talk about that for a minute? So justifying your fees is a big issue for financial professionals because you know, if the market goes down, they look at their statement, and they go, why am I paying you for what, what, for what are you doing? Because they think they're getting paid based on the performance of their accounts. When most financial professionals are doing a lot more than the, you know, than the performance on the account, it's about protection. It's about different kinds of strategies uh, to reduce volatility. It's about financial planning and, you know, buying that second house and being able to save money for retirement, not the small, you know, changes in the performance. But if you look at that statement, you go, hmm, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like uh, I should be paying you. And so what we've worked with a lot of financial professionals on is on being able to really define what it is that you do. And, you know, that's something like financial professionals don't want to sit around and say, okay, let me remind you of all the things that I've been doing. But if you don't do that in some way, they forget, oh yeah, we did do planning. Oh yeah, you did help me get that mortgage. Oh yeah, you did give me some advice when I was trying to figure out how to pay for college. Oh yeah, you do all of those things in addition to keeping my money safe and doing some of these other things. Um, and so I think it's about telling them what you do. And so there's a lot of different ways to tell your prospects and your clients what you do. But what we find is mostly it's a big laundry list of stuff you do that no one can remember. And so we like to put it in like three different categories. So say there's three main things that we do. And if you clarify that when you start working with someone and you clarify that on every, in every review meeting, there's three main things that we do. The first thing is planning. And you talk about all the things you do in planning. The second thing is investment management. You talk about all the things you do in investment management. And the third thing we do is intellectual capital. We bring you all of our experience and everything that we've known over the past X years uh, to bring that to you. So we've got all of this experience that we share with you so you can make better decisions. And so, you know, and, and the intellectual capital part, you could use some of the studies that have been done about the worth or the value of financial professional is three or 4% over time. So there's all sorts of great statistics you can use to prove how that intellectual capital actually helps behavioral um, things that people do a lot and make you know sort of irrational decisions in, in difficult times. And that's why you pay that financial professional. But unless you tell them that, they just think it's based on their assets because a lot of times that's how they're paying you. And it's not about that. And it's, it's about so much more. And so it's about really clarifying, but people can remember things in threes. So we like to say, you know, you can do a Venn diagram in threes or you could do three columns or just say, hey, there's three main things that we do. People can remember three things. They can't necessarily remember the laundry list of all the things that you do as a financial professional. Yeah, love it. Mary Beth, you, you have very little energy I'm noticing, huh? <laughs> I, I love it. Your, 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 um, your energy level is awesome, uh, which I love. 
you also, you know, talked about the value, right, above and beyond performance or sometimes lack thereof. Uh, it's funny, we, we talk about the same thing in our practice some, and we talk about it being what we call the, the alpha that the advisor provides, right? So alpha for the audience, I'm sure most, or if not all know, is performance above and beyond kind of what's expected, right? That extra performance. And we talk about it very similarly, kind of little different phraseology, but very similarly. So you talked about planning, investments, right? And then kind of intellectual capital. I just want to drill down a little. You talked a little bit about kind of a Venn diagram, right? As an example, or some kind of chart. Maybe we could just get a little more tactical, right? So if you were an advisor or Shenandoah and I were an advisor that you coached, could you help us with the word track a little bit? So as an example, um, if I was talking to my clients, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, what exactly would I be saying to continue to demonstrate the value that I provide? Yeah, so the way that we, uh, and, and by the way, this isn't something that I came up with. This is something that a top producer uses. And then we started using it with others and found that this was just a really great strategy. But it requires a little bit different than what the, the ultra professional way sometimes that we present to a client. We've got these fancy graphics and stuff like that. This is basically, um, and you can use a PowerPoint or something, but just imagine drawing three circles in a Venn diagram on a piece of paper. And in the first one, as you're talking about, you go, hey, there's three things that we do. Now, let me stop for a second and tell you why we would draw it out. We draw it out because now you've got their attention. They're looking. Now, if you're on a Zoom call or something, you're going to probably have to do a PowerPoint, but you can have the pieces come in, not just blast it all up there and then talk about it, but have it come in over time. So the first thing that we do is financial planning and you write financial planning inside of the first circle. And you, the whole point of talking about planning is not to talk about the laundry list of stuff you do, but it's to start and talk about why. So why do we do planning? We always start with planning and here's why. That's the, the key place to start because people might think that they're in there to do something else, not to go through a financial planning process, which isn't super popular. Like people aren't clamoring for a big, long financial planning process, but they need it and you know they need it. And so you explain to them why we do this and why it matters so much to everything else that's going to happen in your financial life, including your investments. And so then you talk about some of the key things that you do in planning. Uh, and then you go on, you know, the second thing we do is investments. And you talk about why we have a, a process and, you know, a, a a process that is really defined for doing our investing. Let me tell you what that is. And you talk about how you do your research and how often you look at the investments and how often you look at the managers and do all of those kinds of things so that they know that you're on top of all of that. It's not just a, uh, you know, we're, we're going to throw you into some stuff and we're going to hope for the best. Now, there is some set it and forget it kinds of investing, but you know, my, my example here is more an active investing, but it could be either way. If you are more of, a, of an ETF investor, then well, let me tell you why we do it this way, because the cost is cheaper and, you know, but it's really talking about what you do and why you do it. And the why is frankly way more important than the what. Uh, and then the intellectual capital, it's the same thing. You know, it's talking about, hey, listen, I've been in this business for 20 years. Uh, if you put a period at the end of that, it, who cares? But I've been in this business for 20 years. And the one thing that I specialize in this practice 
is on protecting client assets. I have had more experience doing that than anyone in this office. I've been protecting client assets for over 20 years or whatever that is. But instead of saying that I've been in this business for a long time, tell them why that might be important to them. And so those are kinds of the things, but you can just take some notes inside of the circles. Now, again, you could have, you could do PowerPoint and have an animation where one circle comes up and another one comes up and then another one comes up and the words populate in there. And um, it, it, it really works because it's not about you patting yourself on the back saying all these things that you do. It's about you justifying your value. Like, listen, here are all the things that we do and I'm going to lay it out for you in a way that you're going to be able to remember it. Awesome. Yeah. I love, I love, I think what you said was the why is more important than the what, right? That was a, a good phrase. Is that how you said it? Yes. That yep. is how I so, said it. So um, digging into that, what you're really saying is here's why we do what we do. Don't worry so much about why we use ETFs or pick stocks or whatever your process may be, but we've kind of thought it through in my 20 years or whatever it may be of experience is why we do it this way. Um, so I think that's super smart. You know, to drill down a little bit more, and, and I'm not sure how you'll answer this question actually. Um, you know, I, I guess there's two parts, in my opinion at least, to the financial planning uh, profession. And um, not everyone concurs with this, by the way. Um, I think you might, but I could be wrong. You've got the financial planning part, right, of the, um, of the, the, the work that we do for our clients. And then you've got the asset management piece, um, and then thirdly, I think you've got that 20 years of experience to help clients and guide them on making decisions on all those kind of things that we forget we do, right? Like, should I buy or lease a car or refine my mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. Do you find that the advisors you coach um, and I, I, are, are folks that are charging separately and distinctly for their kind of intellectual capital and planning advice? versus their asset management um, kind of division, if you will, or that 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 which they perform for the clients? Or, or do you find most of the advisors are lumping it together? I'm just, just curious. Yeah, most of the advisors that we work with are still sort of lumping it together. Uh, there, there are, um, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for actually charging for the financial plan, charging for those services. Um, but the advisors that we work with mostly are just they're talking about the value, but they're still charging off that one method that they've that they've done before. So, and I don't know what's right and what's wrong, but it. I, I think when you charge on assets, it becomes a little bit more confusing as to what it is you actually do, unless you spend time telling them. No, yeah, it's interesting. I, I wanted to ask because I think it's a, it's sort of like a debate in the industry, and I think if you if you interview ten advisors, five would, you know, would would look at it that, that you should charge separately and distinctly and five would think that you didn't need to do that. And um, I'll just, you know, share from my perspective, it's interesting, um, we, we separate. So we charge for our advice separately and distinctly uh, from our asset management fees. And I just believe that kind of the asset management fee business over time is becoming a little bit more commoditized and fees are shrinking and that's what you read and hear. And I think you see a little bit in the industry. So being able to start to show your value the way you teach and maybe differentiate how you charge could kind of insulate practices a little bit. Um, so I, I think that's super valuable. And um, you know, the, the other piece that I just wanted to ask is when you're, when you're thinking about 
um, your consulting firm out there, right? I know you do a lot. Maybe you could just kind of share with the audience kind of how you help advisors. Obviously, teaching them to demonstrate their value is a big piece of it. Um, but, you know, what other type of work do you do and how do you see advisors really kind of growing uh, and, you know, scaling their practices? Well, I tell you, a lot of things have changed since the pandemic started. Uh, a lot of things have changed. So the one thing that happened almost right away was that we started getting a bunch of calls for people that wanted to change their website because they realized um, that's where people are going to find me now. I'm not They're not going to see me at my son's lacrosse game or over at... Uh, you know, some cocktail party, we're, we're shut down, we got to get our websites better. And so we do a lot of work on the messaging. In fact, if I were to categorize it, I would say that we're more of writers than we are of consultants, because we're actually taking the essence of someone's business and turning it into their value. And we have a lot of professionals that have come to us and said, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for a long time, and I don't have a good value statement. And so it's not to come up with something that's real crafty or whatever. It's to come up with what's real and what's interesting and what's compelling. And so we do that for website messaging. So we'll go through and re-message an entire website, add different pictures, graphics. We're not website designers. We work with website designers, but we're more into the visual aspect of it, not the coding. We're into the visual aspect and the, and the messaging aspect. So we do a lot of that. We also, since the pandemic started, do a lot of capabilities decks or like we used to call them pitch decks because all of a sudden you got to do Zoom calls and you got to be able to show what you do and it's got to look really good. Um, we also help a lot with video messaging and video scripting and video coaching because um, you may not believe this, but not every single financial advisor is good on video. And so we do a little help with helping. No, I mean, most people aren't any good at video. And so how do you get better if that's going to be a way that people are going to see what you do? Uh, and the, the other thing is we've been helping a lot with virtual presentations, virtual meetings, virtual prospect meetings, uh, virtual events, because obviously that's another thing that's really changed. So we've been doing a lot of that in some ways over time, but over these past few months, uh, we've been doing a lot of all of those things, really helping people get their strategy together and figure out what they're going to do moving forward, because things aren't really going to change that much going into 2021. We think they are, but they're not necessarily, um, you know, changing. Got it. No, well said. And uh, I, I knew you did a lot, but that's a, that's a ton of different stuff. And it sounds like um, COVID has sort of kind of changed a little bit, right, of how advisors market and I guess how you support them. Um, and I want to I drill down on a minute uh, on some of the video stuff, because that's just selfishly something that I'd like to start doing that we haven't yet. But before we do that, I know, Mary Beth, you had mentioned that you've done some survey work of advisors kind of as to, you know, what's working and what's not working and what they're doing these days. Anything that you could share about some of the findings that you found and kind of how you went about doing the study and, and what the, you know, what the findings were? Yeah, so we have been doing these surveys. We started the first one in May of 2020 to find out, okay, things have changed. How much have they changed? Are you in the office? Are you not in the office? Are you meeting with clients? Are you meeting virtually? If you are meeting virtually, how are you doing that? What are your strategies? And most importantly to me, what are you doing for marketing? How are you prospecting? How are you meeting new people? How are you getting introduced to them? And uh, so we did it in May. We did it again in June. 
then we did it in September, and then we did it in December. And obviously things have changed over the four times that we've done this survey, but the reality is, is that I, I think what's happened is that financial professionals in the beginning thought, this isn't going to last long. I'm going to be okay. I don't have to get in all this virtual baloney. But then you go, okay, well, you know what? Um, it is staying the same. And I really do need to prospect because um, your prospects still need you as much as they've ever need you, needed you. In fact, probably more than they've ever needed you. But you got to be out there and, and be able to, um, you know, expose your uniquenesses to these prospects. And so uh, the surveys told us that over time, what was successful, and we first started asking, what marketing strategies are you doing? And people would say, well, you know, I'm trying to do some social media stuff and this and that. And so we've got, we've got it all categorized. And the next time we did the survey, we said, okay, so what marketing strategies are you doing? And what's actually producing new clients? Because that's what we really want to know. I don't care that you're posting on your blog every week. Is it producing anything new? Is anything happening because of that? And so what we found over time when we looked at what's working and especially what was working in December to actually produce new clients, um, it, was, it was four or five things, because uh, four Four things really, but the first one is split into two. So the first one is referrals, but we ask specifically referrals without asking and referrals because you did ask. Number one way of generating new business was referrals without asking, which means that's about delivering value. That's about service. That's about the experience that you're bringing. Because if you're getting referrals in the middle of a pandemic, you must be doing a lot of things right. And so we consider that to be a byproduct of marketing and of service. So number one is referrals without asking. Number two is referrals because you're asking, specifically asking clients, specifically asking strategic alliances and COIs. And then we dug deeper and we said, okay, if you're asking for referrals, what are you doing? And the, the advisors that were finding a lot of success with referrals were talking about second opinions because people weren't sure, do I have my stuff in the right place? There's so much uncertainty, what the heck is going on? And so different variations of that second opinion kind of thing that most advisors know about already. And the third thing was virtual educational seminars. So that was a new one, like on the list, new, brand new, because, you know, people hadn't really done virtual educational seminars or virtual educational events. And we actually produced an entire guide on the kinds of virtual events that are working for financial professionals, where they got, where they got the resources, how they sent out the invitations, what the results were. And so we have 21 successful virtual event strategies. And that's something that um, is available on our website at redzonemarketing.com, but it's free. Uh, but we put that together because we thought, oh my gosh, how are advisors even knowing what to do right now? So. That's one. And then the other one that's really successful, there's two more, but the one is uh, email marketing. So email marketing, I mean, it's always kind of been successful, but it's a way of reaching out to your clients and your prospects, uh, asking for referrals, asking for uh, you know, a meeting or whatever it is, but just generally sending good content along. And people were uh, they were in need of positive and good content about what's happening and information. And so that's something that they, you know, that they really focused on. And then the final one is LinkedIn prospecting. So LinkedIn prospecting um, closed up the list of the most successful strategies that advisors were using. 
uh, during the pandemic. And LinkedIn prospecting, man, it's the greatest way to find people that you don't, you know, you can do some really in-depth data mining of people that work at a particular company, that live in a particular area, uh, that know all these other people. And it's been really successful uh, for those that have given it a try. So those are the ones that have worked. And it's been so interesting because a lot of this is just, it's the same stuff with different tweaks, with different, just a little bit different. So it's not like you got to stop marketing in a pandemic. You just got to find the way to tweak it and do it just a little bit better or differently. Excellent. No, that's definitely in line with um, what, uh, how I approach things with our, with our own firm and with our clients. And, um, you know, you mentioned the email marketing. I always say that's the first thing you got to turn on if you're not regularly sending valuable content. But yeah, like you said, not just sales content, but you need to be always providing value, even if it's just a quick, like, here's three things that you might want to look at with, um, you know, your IRA or, or here's five things that you can talk about with your spouse about finances or just, it doesn't have to be something really like bold and earth shaking. It's just, you know, little educational tidbits I find to be very useful. Those get shared and forwarded to a lot. Um, but definitely during the pandemic, people were looking for advice. They were looking for um, information, education. They really were wanting to get access to that. So putting that out through virtual seminars, all of that we've seen to be very, very useful. Um, and, and kind of along those lines too, though, a question that comes up a lot, especially I get asked all the time is, okay, well, how do you do this with compliance? Because as soon as you start to do something marketing wise, you get your hands slapped or you can't do that. I know um, everybody's excited. The SEC is going to be, you know, the, those rules are changing and hopefully that trickles down. Um, but, you know, how would you kind of address that or how do you handle that when you're developing your marketing scenarios? I'm sure you work with people at different firms. How are you guys approaching that? Yeah, compliance is difficult. I was just talking with somebody the uh, yesterday and they have a, a digital product that helps financial advisors post on social media and create podcasts and do all this stuff. And it's really, it's amazing but they couldn't understand compliance. They go, wait a minute, how long does it take to get something approved through compliance? I go, it depends on the firm. I mean, it could be 30 seconds or it could be two weeks. And he's like, well, you can't do timely stuff. And I know, I know this is the problem. Uh, but it depends if you are SEC registered or if you're FINRA or it depends on if you've got an outside compliance or an inside compliance. And I think the, the idea, the strategy that we use is no matter what, no matter what your compliance is, you can still do marketing. Your compliance might be more difficult. You might be at a warehouse and it's more difficult than another place, but you can still do marketing. What I don't like is when we use it as an excuse not to do marketing. Well, I can't be on social media. Yes, you can be on social media. It's just a matter of following the rules and figuring out what you need to do and doing it within the rules. And that's it. So, uh, you know, I don't think that... Um, hopefully the three of us could change the state of compliance on this call today, but I doubt that that's going to happen. So in lieu of that, I wish I had that power <laughs> we just have to work with compliance, you know, we just have to make sure that you know, the rules and you don't stop marketing because it might take a day to get something approved. Keep doing it. Just keep doing whatever it is that you can do. And um, it, it's not, it can't be an excuse. It just can't be because everybody has compliance to some level. Okay. Yeah, and I yeah, think I, it definitely takes, like you said, you just need to plan ahead, but don't stop marketing. I think you're exactly right. I think folks make excuses and say it's too hard and 
there's too, you know, too many barriers and just choose not to do it for sure. So oh, Mary Beth, when you, when you think about your firm and how you help advisors um, that engage you, you know, you've got, it sounds like you've got some tools that are really helpful that kind of outline steps, et cetera. Um, do you find that most of the advisors you're giving them kind of, you know, the ideas and tactics and tools, and then they execute it? Or do you help them execute it? Maybe you could just help the audience understand a little bit um, about how, you know, how you operate and what you find most successful. Yeah, so we do both. Uh, so for instance, if somebody has all of this marketing they're doing, we'll come in, evaluate what's working and how do we evaluate that? We look at the analytics, we look at the numbers, we look at the opens, we look at, you know, here's all the things you're doing, what's working, what's not working, how much money you're spending on this. And then we help them to put together an action plan, which will define what they'll do in the next three, six, nine, 12 months, so that they've got a good consistent, because that's the key. Most of the time marketing is successful if it's consistent, but if it's all over the place and this isn't working, so we're going to try this and this isn't working, so we're going to do this and let's just stop all social media. And, you know, so let's have a consistent plan. So we put together a consistent action plan and a calendar and an analytics spreadsheet so they can track all their data. Then we help them with certain things. Like they may need to upgrade their website messaging. They may need to upgrade their value proposition. Uh, they may need to get some content ready for different blogs or they might create a white paper or something. And we can help them do all of that. What we don't do though, is we are not um, you know, posting a daily on social media for them or something like that. We're not doing that day-to-day -day task. Number one, it's done much better and compliance likes it a lot better if it's done in-house. Um, so it depends on what firm you're with, but. Uh, we don't do the day-to-day -day posting, but we do the writing, we do the content development, we do the strategy development, um, and you know, getting all of the pieces ready that you might need. So we help people put that together and then say, you go, you don't need to have a marketing consultant on retainer for the rest of your career. We'll get you set up so that you can go and be productive. And that's typically what we do. Got it. So it's almost like, in my words, would be like kind of outsourcing a chief marketing officer getting it up and running, and then it almost becomes plug and play after you've got the system and process up and running. Would that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would that be a pretty accurate assessment? Yep, absolutely. And it, it works if you have somebody internally who's going to manage the marketing. And sometimes it's more of an administrative person than it is like somebody with their MBA or something, because there's, it's, it's just a matter of being consistent with the things that you're going to do. And as you know, in marketing for financial services, you can't be like super outlandishly creative and say a bunch of crazy things. You've got to kind of follow the rules. And it, for a great marketing person, for somebody that's so creative, it can be kind of boring for them. And so that person internally oftentimes is, is better off being, an, you know, more of an admin, a detail person to be able to get all that stuff done. Uh, we do do some coaching. The only kind of coaching we do, we don't coach financial advisors, but we do some coaching of marketing assistants. So if there's a marketing assistant on staff, uh, we'll help them figure all the details out of the marketing. And if something's not working, we can help them tweak and, and get ready to do something better. Uh, we don't coach financial advisors because I think that's much more, um, well, there's others that do that way better than what we do. We figure out the marketing strategy and then let the marketing people do it. 
Yeah, love it. Did you have something, Shen? I have more. Yeah, have yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to hit on, you You mentioned about like they, and I see this a lot, advisors will do something and then, oh, that's not working. Let's move over here. But it takes time for, especially when you start doing something digitally, everybody wants instantly to go viral or I want a thousand likes today. And it actually, it, it's, a, it's something that builds over time. It's a snowball effect. And so, well, you know, making sure that you got to stick with it, like the consistency and, and, and whatever you commit to, you commit to for a certain time period. But I also find advisors really like, they're like, oh, I don't want to do the marketing, but I want the clients to come in the door. But that's how we've seen it with our, like the, there's some things where the advisor has to be the one to do it, but if they have a plan and can implement it, being able to do it and leveraging an admin. So I don't know um, if you run into that and how you kind of handle that and, and what you say in those times where they, they just either are trying to like, if they don't see what they want to see right off the bat, they're not sticking with it long enough, or they're not really wanting to take the ball and run with it. How are you handling that? Right. So it really depends. You've got to look at your analytics. You have to look at that. So for instance, we have a client, uh, not a client, he was a prospect and he came to us and said, I need help with my marketing because the stuff I'm doing is not working. And so I said, well, what are you doing? And he's doing this podcast and uh, he spends all this time and money on his podcast, yet he has no listeners and he's put it out to his clients who you'd think would want to listen to it. Um, and they don't want to listen to it. And I said, um, I think that you should stop your podcast. And he's like, what? Stop my podcast. I go, all of the analytics state right now that unless you change it dramatically, the topics you're doing are not even interesting to your own clients who love you. So you've got to change it. You've got to figure out how to change this thing. I would say, stop it and let's start clean and fresh. And he was like, oh my gosh. So most of the time advisors will stop things when they're not working. But when you really invest in something, you kind of do it and you hope it's going to work. You just got to look at your analytics. We've got other advisors who uh, you know, will will post uh, on social media all over the place, and they're not getting clicks and likes. But the key thing that you want to look at with social media, and this is how you evaluate this, are you getting views? So for instance, we post all the time on LinkedIn, I post also on Instagram and um, Twitter. But when we post on LinkedIn, uh, we often don't get a whole bunch of likes, but we get a whole bunch of views. And we have tracked back speaking engagements, consulting engagements from the, from our LinkedIn posts, directly from the LinkedIn posts. And so it doesn't, sometimes you don't need a million clicks and likes, but you need the views. And if you're getting that, you know, you're getting some traction. And just because someone didn't click like, doesn't mean that they won't go to your website and check you out. So it's a matter of really getting detailed about the analytics. The same thing we do with it. Well, that you guys do with investments. You know, if an investment isn't performing, what's happening with this investment? What's going on with this? And so you take an analytic approach oftentimes to investing, but we look at marketing as something that is so unknown that we don't know why it's not working. We're just going to stop doing it. But some things take longer, um, but you do have to evaluate how it's working over time. Like content marketing, when you're posting blogs and you're posting podcasts and you're putting, you know, just content out on social, if people are not engaging in that in some way or another, you got to find different topics or different ways of doing it. But if you are doing the right thing, it's still going to take some time to get people into your marketing funnel. The top of the marketing funnel is awareness. Oh, I, I just heard about this guy. And so now you're paying attention. And now maybe you signed up for the email newsletter and now you're moving down the funnel. And then maybe you sign up for a webinar and all of a sudden you become a client. But that doesn't happen in five minutes. It's not the immediate gratification 
someone comes to my dinner seminar, they sign up and become an, you know, a client next week. It's not necessarily that fast, which is disappointing and frustrating sometimes for people that are using content marketing, but it's nearly free. And it's one of the best ways to get the word out about what you're doing and, uh, and generate new prospects, but it takes patience. And some of us, myself included, we don't have a lot of patience, but we have to for content marketing. Did you just use the P word, patience, with financial advisors? Come I was going to say, that's a foreign <laughs> word to John, just so FYI. So you're saying staring at my phone all day, wondering why there's not any likes is not a good thing to do. Okay, I got it. Right. <laughs> um, right. No, so, some awesome, uh, awesome tidbits there. And you know what? Um, and Shenandoah knows this. Um, I'm, I'm a rookie when it comes to kind of social media and all this whole digital marketing stuff, but she's been kind of running that for our consulting business, right? And helping us with that. And she keeps talking. She, you guys sound a lot alike about this darn funnel that starts at the top and, and ends somewhere, but we're about a year into it now. And it's pretty cool to see that, you know, when you put good content out and people consume it, it takes a while and, and you know, something ultimately happens where they, they do say, hey, I, I want to talk to you. I need your help or have a question. And the, the better the content uh, and the more consistent it is, the more that they engage. So, you know, Mary Beth, I, I wanted to give you the opportunity. I don't know if there was anything uh, that Shenandoah and I didn't ask that you maybe wanted to share with the audience, but we're, we're just about out of time. We try to keep these, as you know, to about 40, 45 minutes or so. But is there anything else that you might want to share? And then Shenandoah will kind of ask you um, how people can find you and, uh, and things along those lines. But anything we didn't ask you that you might want to share with the group? Yeah, one of the things that I found so interesting about the surveys that we did is that we asked financial advisors about their perspective on the economy, their perspective on the industry, and they are positive. And it was one of the bright spots in all of this is that the, through all this pandemic junk that's been going on, the financial professionals were confident, at least, at least it seemed that they were, and positive. And they have to be positive for their clients. So it was one of the, really, the great things that, that came out of the survey was just that, you know, this is a really great industry where people are really positive about the future. And uh, that was really gratifying to see that. So that's, that's my one last thing. Perfect. Yeah, no, and I definitely would agree that I, I've seen um, financial services in general, the, the future is bright. Um, I, and I did see the pandemic increase the demand for financial advising surface too. So I just, for the industry, it was an, unfortunately it was good for the industry, but it, you know, they were already providing good value and it's just, just demonstrated what you could do in those situations. Like, you know, you hope that you're not in a crisis, but that's when you want someone is in a crisis. So uh, I will reiterate to everyone, uh, so many great things that you put out on your website. Like I said, I've gone in and gotten some of your white papers and things before. Um, so I will be putting the link to your website in the show notes, but if you wanna share where what that link is and if there's any other way that they can get in contact with you or ways that they might be able to get more information, cause I am pretty sure you're gonna have some interest after this podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, my website is redzonemarketing.com. And on the website, you could sign up for our email newsletter where we, we put out good content uh, somewhere between three and four times a week. So it's not like you're getting something every day, but we really try to have really good content coming out on a regular basis. So it's called the Marketing Playbook. That's our email newsletter. Or you can just email info at redzonemarketing.com. We'll send you our three latest guides on 
what's going on in the industry right now in terms of marketing. One is on digital marketing. So what's actually working in digital content marketing. One is on virtual prospecting and how virtual prospecting is being done today. And the other is on the event strategies, the, the virtual event strategies. So I'd love to send those to you as well. They're on our website, but you can also email info at redzonemarketing.com. Excellent. Great. And I'll put those in the show notes for everyone. And I'll probably be going and looking at a few of those as well. I um, always love learning from other like-minded marketing professionals um, and definitely have learned a lot from you. John, any famous last words before we wrap everything up? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they're famous, um, but Mary Beth, thank you. Uh, I found everything super interesting. I'm sure our audience will as well. Um, and I love, I love that you're... Um, you've really kind of, you know, uh, switched here in short order, I guess you could say to, you know, kind of this new world, right? Because uh, it sounds like you're really kind of at the cutting edge of what the new world looks like today. And unfortunately, or maybe in some ways, fortunately, it looks like it may look like for quite some time. So, you know, for that very, uh, you know, grateful that you gave us some time today. I thought you did an amazing job and thanks for uh, being our guest. And Shenandoah, I'll let you take it away. Great. Excellent. Well, thank you once again for joining us. If you think that you have some value and some insights that you could provide to fellow advisors on growing their practice, or you have an expert that you're working with like Maribeth that you think would be a good topic for us to explore, feel free to submit them to our podcast guest page. I will also include that in the show note links and then come back here next week. We'll have another exciting guest and fantastic topic to help you grow your practice. Thank you, everyone. Y'all have a great week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.